0: Joining us now is Jacob Carriong. He's a student at UCF, undefeated UCF, I might add, (laughs) and a future firefighter, even though I just learned that he was actually doing psychology before, so you already know that I like him. Uh, He has been a Marlins fan for 14 years and is joining us to chat about number one, where the Marlins farm system currently stands, which I love as a conversation. We're going to talk about Isan Diaz, maybe some Lewis Brinson as well. And we're going to take a look at the potential 2020 opening day lineup because really next year is when the excitement really starts kicking. So I'm excited to see what he has in the framework there. Jacob, before we start, you know, I love the Fish Army account. Go ahead and let people know where they could find that account because I think it's something that as Marlins fans, they should be following. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. the, the, the handle is at fish army 305 and it's run by two of us, uh, me, uh, myself, Jacob, and one of my best friends, Shane. Uh, we just one day decided, hey, why don't we, because we already tweeted so much about the Marlins on our personal accounts, so we were like, why not just make our own account and do, just focus on that. So that's what we did, and it's so much fun, and the, the Marlins Twitter community is very fun, very awesome group of guys and gals that very diverse interacting with. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Awesome, awesome. All right, so make sure you go follow him. I promise you it's not empty endorsement. I love when he talks baseball. It's why he's on the podcast right now. It's not just because whether I agree or disagree, whatever the case is, I like knowledgeable baseball fans. So if you're listening for that purpose, make sure you follow that account. All right, Jacob. So before we get into the real good, juicy stuff, I always want individuals to know who they're listening to. So go ahead and take some time and let us know Uh, How you became a Marlins fan, a little bit about yourself, maybe how things have changed throughout the different Marlins eras, uh, just to let the people know who they're listening to.
1: Absolutely. Well, first off, I'm 21 years old, so I wasn't there from the beginning in 93, but I was I became a fan around 2005. Yeah, 2005 season is when I became a fan. So I saw the likes of Mike Lowell, Luis Castillo, uh, Beckett, Willis, Cabrera, Pierre, all those guys. Really fun Team to watch um i forget my first time going to the marlins uh marlins game it was a uh, sunday one of those wretched sunday day games at one o'clock at
0: the sauna World player
1: stadium oh my goodness it was i call it the orange toilet bowl because it is <laughs> it's you just bake in there and i remember it because i don't know how much the waters were i wasn't old enough to remember but i think my dad told me he spent like a good 35 dollars on water bottles for me and my sister and him just because it was so hot. Um, but it was a good win. Uh, Marlins won. Uh, I think uh, it was against the Phillies. I, I honestly don't remember. What I remember is more just the uh, memories with my father and my sister. Those were good times. Uh, but um, as far as how it's changed throughout the years, um, as, as I've gotten older, um, I love the Marlins more and more um i loved watching them in 0- 08 and 09 and that w- that was a lot of fun but as i got into high school i was focusing on my own baseball goals you know because i played at archbishop mccarthy and so i kind of like didn't watch them as much um and of course you know the loria and samson regime they that just kind of turned off my interest in, in them too just because it was just so frustrating but i still watched from afar especially on jose days mm-hmm. um but what really brought me back to the Marlins for real was um, first off the Jose game. So after his tragic death um, in 2016, so that kind of brought me back at first, kind of reminded me of my, about my love of the game. But what really brought me back 100% was when uh, Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman um, took over the team. And I, I'm one of those guys, I'm a Jeter fan, um, you know, hashtag respect with the number two. You know? mm-hmm. And, um, and I just love where they're going. I really do. It's, it feels different. You know, these promises feel much more real. I mean, of course, we'll still, we still have to see, but I right. genuinely love the position we're going in. And I couldn't be more excited. I think this is, the mo- this is the most excited I've been as a Marlins fan since the 2012 spring training when they were opening the stadium, signed all those guys. This is easily the most um, – I think I'm more excited now just because I know this time it might be for real.
0: You know, it's funny because people from outside of the Marlins fandom will listen to people say that over and over again. The quote unquote, I'm more excited now than I've ever been as a fan or at least one of the top three times I've been excited as a fan. And they don't believe it. Right. Because they're like, "Okay, this is a rebuild. You guys are awful Mm -hmm. on the field. Look at the standings. How can you be excited? And I think it's the people within the fan base that realized that, uh, like, we just feel like we've been heard. We feel like we could buy into this plan. Number one, there is a plan. There's something that we can look forward to, which never happened before. And I think it's interesting every time someone says that because it validates the few of us or the many of us that do believe Absolutely. that even though everyone laughs. Uh, I, I don't want to leave something quite yet because you just dropped that you played at Archbishop and as someone who was <laughs> a Dade Christian, okay, I know how great oh, Archbishop of McCarthy's. Yeah. I know how great Archbishop McCarthy's program was. So, you know, I don't even need you to go on that. I just want to tell you that you are, you told us everything we need to know about how good you are and how competent you are at baseball. The fact that okay. as someone that was at DCS, I know damn well how hard it was to play at archbishop so you know i oh. just it's a little name drop but congrats to you sir that you were able to do that
1: oh thank you so much for that honestly uh being in that if it did feel like you were part of a farm system honestly mm-hmm. there were three levels you know freshman jv and varsity and each level felt like a promotion and it felt like it, it felt like you were really in a major league organization i mean obviously you know not in the same scale but just the. Just the fact that you saw the big, the big club, the varsity club, doing what they did, you know, winning all those state championships, it really inspired you as a JV player to work every day, to get better every day. And uh, I'm very, ha- I'm very happy and fortunate that I was able to be a part of that for uh, as long as I was.
0: No, yeah, trust me. I mean, did Christian held its own, not against you guys, but held its own within <laughs> its, uh, you know, population league, whatever, whatever, eight, eight A or whatever it was. But nothing compared mm-hmm. to or 1A, nothing compared to what you guys, that program that you guys were able to build. So kudos, kudos to you. Obviously, I'm talking to someone that not only knows baseball, but knows how to play baseball. All right, (laughs) so you mentioned the new ownership group. One of the big things that happened with this new ownership group is, of course, the rebuilds, which for better or worse, has taken place. And what that has yielded is a drastic, radical change in the farm system. So I, I'm going to get right to the three things that you wanted to talk about. And we're going to start off okay. with the farm system, because that is, first off, one of the better things that can be spoken about at the moment. Um, and because I'm really interested in your perspective. So talk to me and, and you take the conversation wherever you might want to go with it on your thoughts on the farm system and where it currently stands.
1: Absolutely. Um, so for- Before I get started into this, uh, I'm going by MLB.com just because I don't really want to pay for like Baseball America and all the other, you know, because every time I try to look for their lists, it always says I have to join something and pay some fee. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) So I go to MLB.com. And so if there's any discrepancies with other uh, prospect, you know, um, news outlets or whatever, um, this is what I'm going by, uh, MLB.com. So currently, we have, uh, what is it, uh, six top 100 guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Sixo Sanchez, JJ Blade, Jesus Sanchez. Uh, we have Jazz. I can't, I can't. I always botch his last name. Uh, can you help me out here, Danny?
0: Chisholm. Chisholm. Chism,
1: okay. Chisholm, Isan Diaz, and of course, Monte Harrison. Funny note who would have thought that Monte would be the last person from mm-hmm. the Yellow Steel mm-hmm. to make the big leagues? I would have never thought that looking back, which is Same. very interesting to think about. But um, so it's six top 100 guys, and 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 in actuality, who sh- I think who should be in, but for some reason they just don't want to put in are guys like Ed Cabrera, mm-hmm. obviously Luis Diaz from the trade uh, from the Twins trade, and uh, you know his struggles in Double A, but he's really picked it up after- since coming to the organization, and and two more guys I saw him in Jupiter uh, not too long ago, uh, Braxton Garrett, stud left-handed pitcher, Absolutely. and Gerard Encarnacion, who ripped uh I think, it was, I think they measured at like 420-something home run over the left field fence to Roger Dean. Impressive it was Impressive power. It was a shot, man. Yep. So uh, getting in deeper. Of our top 10, we have four pitchers and six hitters. Of our top 30, 12 pitchers, 18 hitters. And going into the season, we, um, the big talk about our farm system was pitching, that we were a very pitcher-friendly farm system, that our game was going to be on the mound. And that was true. But in the last, uh, I don't know, what would you say, three, four months, mm-hmm. all these big trades, big left-handed hitters, obviously the drafting of Lede and Misner, um, or Meisner. Um, we've got a lot of le- good hitting, especially left-handed bats in this farm system. So I want to ask you, Danny, are we, looking back now, if, think about it now, are we more of a hitting-based system now? Are, are, we still pitching, are we still pitching heavy? Or would you say we have a nice... Uh, balance in the middle between both hitting and pitching
0: i think we are definitely more balanced than we were like you said three months ago because of the Mm -hmm. drafting because of the ifa and because of the trades i personally i personally have more faith in the pitching if that makes sense absolutely i i have and that's and that's usually not the case around like major league baseball usually you look at prospect arms and you say you know arms are volatile one year they might have Mm -hmm. a very good year where they look like they're top of the rotation candidates and another year they look like they're back-end relievers but in miami i simply have more faith in the arms and in gary dembow developing the arms than i do Mm -hmm. in the bats however it has become much more balanced now every lineup i mean look there were games in the minor league systems where you would look at Jacksonville and Jupiter's lineup and it was like where where is the offense going to come from? There was there Ooh. was no one there earlier in the year and now you're starting to see that there is a Leywin Diaz or Cameron Meisner or whoever else fills that hole where three months ago there was nothing there. So I think they're more balanced, but I have more faith in the pitching. What do you think?
1: Um I'm honestly gonna have to agree with you because um, even though I do really like the um, the acquisitions of lewin diaz and um, jazz uh, but the, re- uh, the, the reality is that they're ve- pretty high risk um yeah the the reward is going to be amazing if it all pans out in our favor but now the two two basketball swung on and hammered. that's high deep to right field harris all the way back but it's gone lewin diaz homers for the first time at the baseball grounds as a member of the jumbo shrimp and he gives Jacksonville the early one nothing lead, bottom of the first. Of course, we did really have to give up a, a good amount. Uh, we, to, we had to give up a few of those pitching, uh, that, that pitching surplus that we have in the farm right. system with uh, Valamont. Uh, is that you pronounce his name Valamont? Yeah, uh, Chris Valamont, yeah. Uh, and he just pitched a, a good uh, gem, I think. It gets yeah, his her. revenge game. <laughs> his revenge game, that's right. And um, we had to give up him. And, of course... Zach Allen, who pitched um, a a solid game for the Diamondbacks, uh, his first start for them. I think he went five innings, Mm -hmm. uh, scoreless, something like that. You know, that's uh, routine for him. Um, And like you said about pitching is volatile. Uh, Last year, I mean, not even last year, when the trade of Marcelo Zuna happened with the Cardinals, um, Zach Allen was kind of a a throw-in. Like, uh, he was just kind of like an extra piece that the Marlins got. And he was solid all of 2018 but then this year my god he had a breakout uh nine and one in triple a and like a sub two era so he was he, he was killing it this year and he is killing it this year mm-hmm. so we had to give up those two guys those two you know decently high uh, high pitching prospects for us to get guys like jazz and Luwin and the reward it, very high for us obviously and but the risk is pretty high and I do like the fact that Jeter is kind of going a little high risk right now, but at the same time, you know, we just don't know. It's kind of like we're in the in-between right now. We don't know. There's a lot of question marks. And it's just we got to wait to see.
0: No, yeah, there's huge risk. I mean, huge, huge risk, especially in in the Gallon deal. You know, in the Valamont deal, I loved it because it's creative. And I also loved mm-hmm. it because if we're being honest, Valamont is slotted like as the 10th, 11th, 12th, 15th option in the depth of future arms when we're looking at estimated mm-hmm. time of arrival at the major leagues. And even when we're looking at talent, I mean, Valamont has done well, but he's not a 6-0. He's not an Edward Cabrera. He's not a Braxton, Garrett, at least at least yet, not a Trevor Rogers. So he was deep, 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 deep in the bench that we would eventually look at at 2022, 20, 2023. 20, but Gallon was already here. And that is going to be the riskiest one. I mean, if jazz ends up being who many scouts believe he is going to be, you have your star to superstar shortstop for the future 10 years of the Marlins organization. But, But he's a risky guy. Exactly, exactly. You filled a hole, which is what they did, right? They didn't have lefty power. They didn't have lefty bats even outside of Hassan. And they had holes at first and at short. And they attacked it, whether it was the draft or whether it was through trade. So it's risky. It's aggressive. It's creative. It's a wait and see to see how it works. But, yes, the pendulum has gone from – immense elite pitching talent and no hitting to balancing out a little bit, even though I'm still going to say a little bit more on the pitching side than Mm -hmm. on the hitting side. Now, one guy who recently got called up and then, yeah, a year ago, he was volatile. Isan Diaz a year ago was taken off of a bunch of top 100 lists. Uh, You know, his K percentage was too high. He has too many holes in his swing. And then he has this great year and now he's at the major league level, right? He hits that beautiful shot with his dad on the call with, uh, oh, I think it was yeah. Craig Medivine, which is perfect. Just perfect. Mm-hmm. And then he struggles for a little bit and you start seeing people kind of freak out, you know, Oh, well, he hasn't gotten a hit yet. He hasn't gotten a hit yet. Now the last two games I, he's, he's done well. Well, what are your thoughts on Isan?
1: Um. Well, first of all, I, I, I gotta say, I love Usan, Like, from the moment i saw film of him when the trade happened i was into him i saw immediately a robbie cano kind of swing a robbie cano kind of confidence like he walks out into the field and you, you just feel like he you get a sense that he knows he belongs there and and on the honest truth i think he does and whether he proves that in the long run in the major league level we have to wait and see but i think our the chances are very good in his favor um yeah, he had great success this year in Triple A, hitting 305. Uh, I think on base percentage 395 and boxing nine seven three, uh, twenty-six homers, 70, 70 Ribbies. Uh, so he was killing it down there. And he comes up, he has that great home run swing, you know, with Craig Minervini, one of the I think one of the best moments in Marlins history, at least mm-hmm. the top twenty-five. Oh, it was so beautiful. And then he gets and after that, he struggles and I, yeah, a lot of fans really jump the gun, you know, just like, oh, you know, I'm worried about Isan, you know, this is not looking good, blah, blah. blah. I think it has to do with PS, PTSD about with yep. Lewis Princeton. Yeah. Uh, like, cause, and I don't blame them because, you know, when it, it, I, I I said this to my friend uh, Shane, who runs the account with me, um, he really loves MMA. And I try to give him this analogy is like, think of an MMA fighter who is fighting in one weight class where he's just, dominating he, he's pounding guys he's i don't know mma terminology but he, the, he's killing that level right and then he eventually moves up one level you know to another higher weight class you know whatever the case may be and they they'll, they'll struggle for a little bit because there's a learning curve to it there's an adjustment mm-hmm. period because now they're seeing things that they didn't see in the previous level they're, they're noticing guys and now i'm going back to baseball they, they have more advanced scouting reports. They, have, they know Isan Diaz. They know the name, and they respect the name. That's, that's why you hardly ever see him getting any fastballs right. in the four or five games they've played so far. And um, another thing, like, um, I, I, I think people outside the fandom, you know, they, see, they saw Isan Diaz struggling, and they were like, oh, another Miami bust, another peanut. And right. a lot of people, the, the thing that kind of frustrates me with fans is that um, they have a very short memory as far as other players who have gone through similar things. You know, as far as, in the big picture, Marlins rebuilds, you know, they like to slander them, uh, the Marlins and Jeter, for rebuilding. But, will praise uh, got, um, teams like the Mariners for doing mm. the same thing. And I think that's just a bias towards the, uh, the Miami Marlins. But um, a lot of people forget that uh, Bregman from the Astros. Yep. I was about to for,
0: give him as an example. Yep.
1: Two for 32. Asans already got four. So he's, already, he's four for, I think... Uh, I think he has. He's had less than twenty at bats. Yeah, so he's I think already he's like on a four
0: for eighteen or four for twenty.
1: Yeah, he's already four for twenty-three. I just saw it. Four there for twenty-three. Go. So he's already on a better uh, start than Bregman was. But um, look, look, we have to be honest, man. We're, these guys are playing at the best level, the best baseball there is in the world, mm-hmm. and not everybody can go, come out swinging like a Ronald Acuna or a Harold Ramirez. Not everybody has that immediate hot start at the big league level. Some of them. They start slow, and I and Isan, I think, is that guy. You know, he's just I, he he's had good at bats. Sure, he's struck out a lot, but he's working a lot of deep counts. He's been Absolutely. fouling off a lot of pitches. Quick hands. I think. Um, I think uh, two games ago, the first his first game here at Marlins Park. Um, I think it was a high and tight fastball. I think like ninety four, ninety five, and he turned it around and yeah, pulled he it turned down the on line. it. And I was like, that's. That's stuff you gotta notice. People like to look at the stats. That's why I think stats have their place in ba- in baseball f- in fandom. But the, the only the, the true way to evaluate a player, especially a hitter, well, and pitching too, is to see them every day. See them Absolutely. and see those little things like turning a a ninety five mile per hour fastball up and in down the line for us for a you know a hard single. And that can also be said for guys like Lewis Brinson. I know a lot of people see his stats and say, oh, my God, he's hitting under 200, this and that. But it's, And while he's still – he's definitely struggling right now. That's no doubt about it. It's like you got to see those those little victories because this mm-hmm. is a game where it's failure. That's the name of, of baseball. Yep. Failure, failure, failure. And when you see Lewis Brinson, I see a guy who just can't get out of his head. Like he goes up there, and he's probably he has the weight of the world, weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's probably thinking a million and one things while he can the see box. the
0: wheels turning. Yep,
1: absolutely. As as soon as, when he gets in in an 0-0 count, I think he's okay. But as soon as he gets that strike, or if he gets a call he doesn't like, immediately you see those wheels turning. Mm-hmm. You, you you see him, you know, thinking to himself, "Oh my god, I can't believe this." Um, you know, I got I got to get a here. I got to get a hit here. I got to get a hit here. I gotta get a hit here. Because and because of obvious pressure, and it kind of sucks from being the headliner of that Yelich deal, especially when the, the other guy, you know, Yelich is having the monster eighteen months he's had. It's like it, he he must put so much pressure on him. And I want to ask you, your opinion on that. What do you attribute uh, Brinson's struggles to?
0: quite frankly i think that it is an aspect of the mental game i mean listen he mm-hmm. is always going to k at a, at a high percentage we've seen it in his minor leagues he is mm-hmm. someone who is going to strike out if there's something about the only on field portion of his game that we could look at and say okay maybe that's not mental it's that he's going to k mm-hmm. even when he's been you know radically successful in the minor leagues he's just a high swing and miss type of guy but then yeah. he comes up here and unless he is the epitome of a 4A player where he's too good for the triple for AAA but not good enough for the major leagues there's just mm-hmm. something that clicks and unclicks when he's in the mm-hmm. batter's box and we started to see that earlier in the season It started to bleed into not even just the plate appearances, but into his defense, things that were routine in center field, uh, the angle to the balls that he was taking, balls that were coming on the ground. You could start seeing the frustration. And I'm with you. I was at the game last night, Saturday night, and you're looking at him. And as soon as he gets two strikes, it's like, well, that's it. I, I, I don't I don't know that. The wheels turn quickly enough, and maybe we have to go back a little bit and start turning him back quickly at all. It has to get to the point of C-ball, hit ball which is what he started doing going the other way. When he had that approach, those were the little things that you mentioned that you need to pick up on, right? Okay, he goes two for four. He goes one for four in back-to-back games, and it's like, all right, whatever. He had three singles. No, the fact that he had three singles that went opposite way is important, especially because two of them— Yeah, exactly, especially because two of them were on two strikes. Like You're starting to see a change in approach. And then that other part of it. Look, yesterday he hit a ball to deep left center that was just on a beautifully ran angle by Ender and mm-hmm. I believe, was out there, and he caught it. Uh, he hit another one that was a line drive. He's had some tough luck. The problem is he can't let that tough luck change his approach, which before I get you back on with our third point, because I want to move on to the 2020-2021, I want to say something very quickly about Isan Diaz. For those that say, uh, like you said, almost that PTSD, uh, almost learned processing of, oh man, here's a bust who's struggling to come up. Two things. The first one is Isan Diaz has always had a learning curve every single um, promotion in his career. Go look at his numbers. He gets promoted to A, he struggles. He then in a month or two months or in the second year, if he repeats it, dominates A. He gets promoted to AAA, he struggles. Two months, a month, or when he repeats it, dominates triple a he has a learning curve which is you know not exactly what everyone wants to see but it teaches you that he overcomes right he's always mm-hmm. going to be one of the youngest people at the level but he makes the adjustments so that's the first thing there's a pattern here of him struggling out of the gate and then doing very well the second thing is for those that say oh no here's Lewis brinson again absolutely not the plate appearances are completely different Isan Diaz is going deep into counts. Isan Diaz is still making uh, solid contact. Isan Diaz has drawn a walk. Like, I mean, you know, things like (laughs) that, which we did not see with Lewis the first time that he got promoted, we're seeing with Isan right off of the bat. So for those of you that panicked a bit, you know, I would say breathe, okay? I would say that uh, September and August, August and September of year two of a rebuild is the time for Isan Diaz to come up and get his strikeouts and get his shortcomings out of the way. Let him adjust. He's, he's already shown you good at bat and good approach. He is going to be okay. And we'll see what Lewis can do, what adjustments he can make moving forward. Because I believe that he just has too many tools for this to be something about his baseball skills. This, this, is, this is the mental part of the game. This is the approach part of the game. There's too much talent there for him to not be able to generalize some of the success in the minor leagues to the major leagues. Now, Will he be in the 2020-21 core? I'm going to leave that up to you. The third thing that I want to talk about with you before we we head out and enjoy our Sundays is the 2020-2021 potential opening day lineup, right? You said you want to talk about that, and I always love having this conversation because I'd like to see <laughs> where a person's mindset is at and what they expect. So you, you tell me, what do you think the future lineup and, and, and kind of roster of this team looks like?
1: Absolutely, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, Last night, my plan was to do the 2021 lineup, but I got so caught up in that game. Oh, I don't blame you. I kind of missed that whole part, but I got the 2020 lineup written down for you. My lineup is youth. Youth, youth, youth. So I got batting lead off in center field, Monte Harrison. I know this might be a surprise to some people, but um, since he he just got injured, um, I personally think, um, I don't think he needs to repeat AAA, to be honest with you. I think if he has a solid spring next next year, I think he, he deserves an opening day um invitation, like an opening day nod, because I think he's earned it. And I I personally I I, I might be a little impatient. I just want to see him in center field already in Marlins Park. Right. And then batting behind him, second base, um Isan love Diaz, it. You know, love it. Love it, you know. You got you got gotta keep him in there. And then batting third, process, Daddy. Brian Anderson at mm-hmm. third base, not not at right field, at third base. Then Amen batting to that. up, I got Garrett. Yeah, and then at four, at batting fourth, I got Garrett Cooper. Um, some struggles right now, but I think he, I think he's too good of a hitter to not make some adjustments and you know finish out the season strong and start off next year strong if you can stay healthy. Then batting fifth, I got Harold, Harold Ramirez in left field. Then batting sixth, I might get some heat on this. Lewis Prince in right field.
0: Okay. Lewis Brickson right
1: field. Like I listen, he's a hometown kid and I see so much of him in my, so much of myself in him because when I was playing, I was very, I was very weak in the mental game also Um, going up to the plate. I know exactly what it's probably going through his head. Obviously he probably might be a little different than mine because he's playing in the big leagues, but um, I know the struggles and I really want to see him succeed. And, I'm going to speak it into existence. Absolutely. And batting, batting seventh, Miguel Rojas. You know, he's, he's my team captain. He's the, mm-hmm. He is the captain of this team. He's not, he's not an old player. Like, how old is he? Like, 27? Yeah, he's in
0: his late 20s. I think 28.
1: Yeah, yeah. he's no young, young, youngling right now, but he's no old man either. So I still have him at shortstop uh, in 2020. And he, I, I, would, I honestly would name him official captain. He'll actually be, he'll
0: be, he'll be 30 opening day next year, but still, yeah, he's mm-hmm. here he on his last year of his contract. Maybe they even extend to make a utility guy, but I agree with you. I think he's opening day shortstop.
1: Yep. And then batting eighth, um, Jorge Alfaro catching. You know, I, I, what can be said about Alfaro? Though he has pulled off tremendously in the last few weeks. I think he mm-hmm. got a couple hits, though, the other day, which mm-hmm. is nice to see. He's another guy. He's going to swing and miss. He's going to strike out. That's just going to be part of his game. But if he can, if he can, pump up his home run numbers to the, that I know he's capable of. Like, because I have him as a at least a twenty homer guy. Like that's at least. You know, oh no, definitely. Kind of with for, for all his strikeouts, though. But I was kind of disappointed um, in his power numbers this year. You know, he was very streaky. He, he's been very streaky this year. He'll go on a hot streak, and then what'll happen is he'll get injured or he'll tweak something. He'll sit out for a few games, and now his mojo's gone. Now he's trying to. He's he's been fighting an uphill battle almost this whole year, and that's kind of hard uh, tough to see for him but um I I hope next year is a more healthy year you know not as many injuries not as many you know um you know struggles for him I think he'll be better next year you know one year more year under his belt as a starting catcher and I, I and nothing good, and I'm, I'm struggling um so no, you good um his defense I think is second to none honestly his pitch framing is Almost on par with JT, I think. Now, I, mm-hmm. I think JT is obviously better framing, I think. But I think Alfaro is not too far behind him. And, of course, that cannon he's got behind the plate.
0: Absolutely. Oh, and the thing, the thing to remember cannon. with Alfaro, too, is at the age that he's at, where JT mm-hmm. was at that age. So where we can't really compare, like you say, well, you know, JT's ahead. Absolutely. JT's the best or if not one of the best catchers in baseball. But at the age mm-hmm. of Alfaro, they were very similar. They are very similar defensively. And if anything, Afro had some more power at this age, but he also has more Absolutely. of a swing and miss. So so I, I'm with you. I'm with you, especially when we consider the age factor.
1: And my 2020 uh, rotation, I got Caleb Smith, uh, opening day starter uh, as the first starter. And then number two, Pablo Lopez. Um, he he's kind of battling an injury right now. Um, I don't know when, is he slated to, to make his next start or is he still kind of like, I don't think know, they've actually rehabbing. made
0: an. I don't think they've made an official decision if he's going to have another rehab or if he's just going to come up. I would say this. People are worried about how he's performing down there. You know, I know mm-hmm. I'm Mr. Positive, whatever. I'm not. I don't. I, I've seen million of veterans and I know Pablo's still a little younger. OK, but I've seen millions mm-hmm. of veterans go down and focus on something in their rehab. And the numbers don't look pretty because they are focusing on something. They're focusing Absolutely. on their off speed because it didn't feel right or on a certain particular thing. And then they come up and boom, they're right back to where they were. So Pablo Lopez is not someone I'm necessarily worried about at the moment.
1: Absolutely. Pitching is like is a, it's very similar to hitting in the sense that um if one thing is off, everything is off. Right. Like so as, as far as pitching, if if he's not feeling comfortable with his grips or as far as how his arm feels like obvi- uh, like the numbers, you know, you know, in double A, I think he went like less than three innings and he gave up like six or seven runs. A lot of fans see that and like go, oh my gosh, you know, what's wrong right. with Pablo? And like you said, it's like a lot of times they go down. They're just focusing on one thing, whether it's just their breaking balls or maybe just their, you know, just their pitch sequences. And they 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 try to go out of their comfort zone just so they can like you know test to see how far they can go. And sometimes the numbers aren't pretty. And especially when you're rehabbing, especially when you're rehabbing. But so people shouldn't um, fans shouldn't be too worried about Pablo's struggles and his rehab starts. I think he'll be back if he doesn't make a start this year, which i'd be very surprised if he didn't. Um, I, he will be 100 100%, 100% be back next season. Absolutely. And then third, we got our all-star, Sandy Alcantara. What a gem he pitched last night. It was beautiful. I was honestly, if he would have gone through that 8th inning, like unscathed, if if it, that ball didn't hit him, right. I would say that was his best game ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh better than the com- than the complete game.
0: Yep, Just it was it was it was incredible to see, and it was coming off of back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back to back. poor starts. Yeah, so, I mean, it was nice to
1: see him against the
0: second-best team in the National League, against a potent mm-hmm. offense that hits the fastball very well, and he commanded well. He was aggressive. Like you said, if that ball had just gone a little bit to the left, it would have been right in Isan's glove, or a little bit to the right. It would have been right in Isan's glove, and he would have gone unscathed. Mm-hmm. So it was really great to see.
1: A swing and a miss. The slider gets Duval. A brilliant seven innings of work for Sandy. Absolutely, and then the number four starter. People are going to be surprised by this, but um I'm going to explain why I have him at fourth. And honestly, in reality, I don't even know if he'll make the opening day roster. But this is in a perfect world. Fourth, I have Sixto Sanchez. Believe it uh, or not, I do. I have him at, and I have him at fourth just because I don't want to. I don't want to put so much pressure on a rookie on make, put it making him a top rotation guy right off right off the bat. I kind mm-hmm. of want to see if he can just get his just see how he does the first you know, I don't know five or six starts or so in twenty twenty, and then I think we can evaluate. I think he's advanced enough. I think he's talented enough, and I think he honestly has the the um, um, the dedication to be able to make the opening day roster. I think he can. He has the work ethic to make it to the open day roster next year. Um, it'll be a big jump to go from Double A to the majors, but if if Yamamoto can do it, uh, even though he's no absolutely lately, if he can do it, I think a guy like Sixto Sanchez can. Absolutely, and it's then, been
0: done. It's been done, and Sixto has just been, been on done. fire lately. And that type of talent, the only question would be the durability. But if that's a that's absolutely. an internal Marlins question, you know, it's it, internally they feel that he's ready, then he's ready.
1: Yep. And, um, again, it, all, the, it, all this really depends on their springs, like all these young guys. Like, if they come out of spring and they are showing really good signs and, you know, like you said, the inside, you know, the inside of the Marlins, like if they feel like they're ready, then they'll be ready. And then last guy, number five, uh, Yamamoto. I have him still on the opening roster. I think his struggles lately have just been more about um, confidence level, like, uh, and location issues. But those are things that can be fixed. Those are things that can be worked on in the offseason next spring. And I think worst-case scenario for, for Yams is if he doesn't um, pan out as a starter, I think he could be a really solid you know, seventh or eighth inning guy in the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Man, I really love that. I love, number one, absolutely, it's aggressive, right? And I like it. Number two, mm-hmm. I love the fact that it's youth. And I think that from a marketing standpoint, if the Marlins yeah. came up with the opening day lineup like you constructed and an opening staff like you constructed, it would go a long mm-hmm. way to those that are saying, oh, well, they don't really want to compete, right? Oh, well they don't yeah. you know they're not they're gonna they're gonna do service time manipulation with Monte and with Sixto and with other individuals. If they internally feel that they're ready and that's what they put forward, I'm not saying that's mm-hmm. a playoff team, but there is yeah. a lot of talent there where suddenly fun baseball, is back in Miami now. We have a few minutes, and I want to talk about some of the things. I want to get your opinion on it. So, Jesus okay. Sanchez is in AAA right now. Do you think mm-hmm. there's any chance he carves his way into the opening day lineup?
1: Uh, outfielder, right? Um, yep.
0: Because he was. I mean, if there's one, if there's one safe bat in my eyes, it's Jesus Sanchez. He's the one that we just got from Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, he's yeah. a consensus top fifty prospect in baseball. You know, if Lewis doesn't Perform the way we want him to. I could see him being the guy that they put in right field. I'm not sure he would open it, but that he would get most most of the at bats there. But what what do you think?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Like I said, it depends on the spring. If they if Lewis doesn't have a good spring, which is rare because he always rakes in spring, and Jesus has a good spring, and it all really depends. It's it all depends on um, just where they are. Like I think if I think if Jesus has a good strong finish to 2019 and then show some really good signs of 2020 spring. I think he could, he most likely will be up in in the major league roster in 2020 opening day. Eh, We'll see. I I couldn't, I couldn't give you that answer, but um, he is definitely one of the safer bats. He's one of those guys that will likely make an impact very soon. And it's going to be interesting in the next couple of years with our very crowded outfield in the farm system. Very crowded. Guys like the Mesa brothers, um, Brinson, Monte, you know, Blade, Meisner, and Carnacion. It's gonna be interesting how this all plays out. You know, there's if, if there's one thing I learned at the Archbishop McCarthy baseball system is that competition is good, and competition brings out the best out of every player.
0: Absolutely, and what's fun about what's fun about next season? Okay, so. We, we started this season with the understanding that it's rebuilding year two, with the understanding that we're going to have a lot of veterans in the first half of the year, and that then possibly, hopefully, we're going to start seeing some debuts like we have seen from Isan, and then Lewis came back up, and Yamamoto came up, whatever the case is. Next year is the second half, like the entire year. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it is youth installation into this lineup, into the rotation, and then the real top honchos the real guys that a lot of individuals love the jesus sanchez is the Sixto sanchez if he doesn't break opening day we start to see their progression come in i still think maybe jazz chisholm is another year away from making his yeah. debut maybe late next year hopefully uh but but still this this elite which now has you know the marlins what number four on fan graphs, number four or five <laughs> on pipeline uh that is we're gonna start seeing that and hopefully there will be more Saturday night games like we had this weekend in the future Absolutely. next year where they're competing and that top talent is coming together. All right, so is there anything else on the roster you want to hit? We have time, so you let me know.
1: Uh, oof. One thing I think we have a really big hole in, and because personally I was a catcher growing up, so I'm very like interested in, in, in that position and what we have in there. Which is why you know um, baseball so I'll- well. Other than Alfaro, um, uh, there's only Banfield. Um, he's, the, uh, he's the only catcher in, in our top 30 according to lMB.com. And in reality he's struggling very much at the plate. His defense is unquestionable. It, it's major league ready, I think within a year. But as far as him at the plate as far as him at the plate, you know he's, he, there's a lot of question marks in there and one thing I wanted to ask you um, in next year's draft, who do you think we should target? personally I think uh getting a, a good maybe not a high pick for a catcher maybe a, um a good you know college uh, bat catching you know later on in the rounds but as far as the top rounds our first round first few rounds, who do you think we should target
0: so that that's a that's a good question here's here's my thing with catching position um mm-hmm. I'm always gonna value the catcher I don't know maybe if I could say more than the regular fan and especially not if I'm talking to you. But I'm always going to value the catcher at a very high level. I think that a good way, especially when you have young pitching and especially when you are trying to produce a farm system that yields significant elite pitching, you want that pitching staff to be in the hands of good defensive and then game-calling catchers, which is why I love that Will Bamfield is in this system. I I love it. Mm -hmm. You're right. We're talking about a bat. I mean, he's still very young. But we're talking about a bat that's not there that is probably playing below – level expectations and yet i love the fact that our top arms are throwing to him in particular i love the fact that the marlins uh staff at the major league level is throwing to alfaro in in particular even a guy like nick forte who's another catcher in the system high Uh iq baseball guys so if there's a catcher who you really go after in the top rounds i am okay with that there are some that will say no you don't ever go catch very high I i disagree i'm okay with getting a high talent, high ceiling type of catcher, up, 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 as high as you want to go. How I would take the draft next year, and this is very early, but how I would take the draft next year is with the same kind of uh, mentality that they took this year, which was safer bats. Now, can they get mm-hmm. arms? Absolutely, because now the, the disbalance isn't there anymore. There's more balance in the system. So if they go after a Hancock, if they go after a Wilcox, which it's funny that both of their names end like that, but if they go after names like that, I'm okay with that next year. But if not, mm. give me the safe bats. Give me the, the Martins of the world. Give me, obviously, Torkelson would be amazing if they had someone to that, Absolutely. except that if they could get at the two or the three or the four or the five, which I don't think he'd fall that, that far. But nonetheless. He's
1: probably going to go number one.
0: Yeah, I would think he goes one or two depending on on whatever either the Royals or the Orioles need. You know, maybe, maybe Hancock goes first just because he's supposed to be this elite of the elite pitching prospect. So uh, maybe he goes first. But honestly, Torkelson, Austin Martin from Vanderbilt is a favorite of mine. I would love if they went with him, even with Jazz Chisholm in our system. Uh, you know, you get a bat and you get a defensive ability like martin and you go with it you play him somewhere else he would be possibly two three years away from the from making his debut anyway the only real catchers that i think his name is bailey coming off of my mind i think his name is patrick bailey he's really the only top catching talent that at least scouts are talking about right now Mm -hmm. uh if somehow they get him in the second i don't think he to the second that would be that would be <laughs> phenomenal um i yeah. believe there's a high school catcher named romo or romeo i believe it's romo that would be someone else that you could look at in the second round because i do believe there's a hole in our system at the Absolutely. catching position and, and alfaro for as good as he is does have his weaknesses i think he's the guy moving forward but he, he's the guy him, for the
1: immediate future exactly
0: I think. Exactly. But behind him, there are holes if Banfield doesn't hit or if Forte doesn't hit. I think they should address that. Uh, But I'm excited. I'm excited because then all of a sudden you're going into a draft with the number four uh, system already in baseball. So you can't say there's too many holes. It's just about best player available. And if it fills that need, then that's perfect
1: Personally, for me, I would love, obviously, if they got you know a good defensive catcher because to me, I think catching, as far as catchers, I think defense always comes first. If if they hit, that's just a bonus, personally for me. But I think you know defense and game calling is always priority. Um, as far as other than catching, I would kind, I would, I wouldn't mind if we drafted you know a really good college pitcher just because we kind of re- we kind of dipped into our pitching surplus for mm-hmm. these creative trades and Lou and Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. And the guys like them, like, so I, I think it would be a good idea to replenish our pitching surplus just because, you know, whenever we you want to get make get creative with trades, as, as far as the deadline goes, pitching is always the number one, you know, item because
0: yeah, the you know, number one asset,
1: that's the one thing that's so hard to build. And it's so hard to like, you know, like you said, it's a uh, volatile, like, you don't know what's gonna happen. So it's never it's always a good idea to have Plus pitching, surplus pitching. And I think um, we should follow that trend next year. As far as the high rounds, I don't know about that. But definitely, I think um, getting some good college pitchers in the maybe like the second, third, or fourth round would, wouldn't be the worst idea in the world. But I'll leave that up to, you know, Denbo and Jeter and, you know, what the guys upstairs think because they're obviously much more smarter than than, than me right now.
0: <laughs> no, than all of us. Trust me. And that, that's actually going to connect right with what I was going to say, which was, The other thing is that, yes, we're hopeful for the first time in our franchise. We're excited, not necessarily for the first time, but excited like we haven't been in a while. I'm also Mm -hmm. trusting like I haven't been in a while. You know, I I could go into this. Yeah, I could go into this draft and now they've shown us stuff. You know, Glenn Geffner came on and he said something that was very interesting. He said, you know, everyone thinks that I'm a shill. Uh, he's talking about himself, even though I'm sure people will say that about me, but he's talking about himself and he said, everyone thinks I'm a shill for the organization. I didn't say anything for a whole year. Those are his words. He said, I wanted to look and make an assessment for a whole year to see if these people really cared. If Sherman really came to every game, if Jader was always in the press box or in the, in the suite, if they really did stick to their plan, if they didn't deviate, his interview was great because he came from the perspective of, you know, sue me if you think I'm a shill for the company. I'm not, I've been waiting to make an assessment and my assessment is XY, Y and Z. And if you don't like it, shove it, because at the end of the day, they have started (laughs) to show that we should be able to trust them a little Mm -hmm. bit. And it is still a wait and see for a lot of things. They have a lot of money. Will they use it? You know, they they have this beautiful plan. Will they stick with it? Loria at times looked like he had a plan, but then he put his foot in his mouth or he went too quickly or he didn't allow the plan to develop. Let's see if these uh, this regime is different So I'm with you. You know I'm excited. Obviously, everyone knows that I, I have a certain amount of faith that this plan is actually going to work because of who is conducting it. And last mm-hmm. night, listening to Martin Prado's the man interview, does
1: nothing but win. Yeah, I'm
0: telling you. Apparently, right? He's going to win. and He's mm-hmm. going to win here, and hopefully, hopefully. And this, I guess, one of the last things I'll say is they deserve it. Like the the Marlins fans, right? The ones that have of us that have been here, just deserve it. This is a scorned fan base. I, the people like you, we deserve that.
1: May, may I interrupt you for one second? I have tweeted it. this one time, and I still firmly believe this. I believe that the Marlins, the ones who are still here, like you and I, the ones who are still doing this, still care, who give an F, those are the best fans in all sports mm-hmm. because we have been kicked we have been spat on. We have been to- we've been told to F off. If you live in Miami and you're a tax player, you've been I don't want to say mm-hmm. stolen sp- from, but like you've been you've been you've been getting, you've been been getting huge the, sh- the short end of the stick forever. And if there's one fan base that deserves a winning team for many years, it's Miami Malls fans. One hundred percent.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I wrote something similar. Yeah, we are the best fans in baseball. I don't care who laughs at that. It just it's really easy to be a Yankee fan. It's easy it's so- to be a Dodgers fan. And, and you know what, there are diehards there that don't deserve to be minimized. So I'm not minimizing them. I'm just saying, when you're a diehard of the Marlins, you are a real diehard. <laughs> There's no secondary. It's like game. the people
1: who are still diehards. It's like the people who are still diehards during the Cubs rebuild. Yeah. Like the ones ones who still packed Wrigley Field every night. Like the ones that probably 90 games every year.
0: The ones that you and I were probably happy for when they won. Like I I was happy for the players, but I was happy for the guy who's 90 years old who never saw a a ring and and now finally got to see one. I mean, I hope that we're not 90 the next time that we see a ring. But at the end of the day, (laughs) we're here because we love the sport. Because you know, either we love the city, or we love the team, or the culture, whatever the case is. And finally, we've felt validated. That's why people are loud mm-hmm. about the rebuild. That's why people are loud about the criticism. Because we're finally getting something we appreciate. Hopefully, it finally yields success. But it's looking promising for the first time in a long time. And 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 that's something Absolutely. that we should all be prideful
1: of. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And- Derek Jeter's Derek Jeter's first move in the offseason should be to extend Brian Anderson absolutely. to a multi year deal.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I just you just uh, I, you're just my best promoter for all 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 the stuff. Yes, for the love of everyone. that has to extend be Brian Anderson. That has
1: to be that has to be the first thing on Derek Jeter's to do list. Extend Brian Anderson. Because it would look first off. Man it makes sense. Is a cornerstone.
0: And absolutely, and yeah. it would look so good for He's the all fan He's on Ryan base. Zimmerman, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. He's Ryan the, Zimmerman. I think someone said he's uh he's like our Anthony Rizzo too. I don't know if they're the same type of player, but you know, it's the same mentality. He's oh, the no, guy no. that survived here yeah. while they were rebuilding. He deserves it. It makes sense from a baseball perspective. It makes sense from an optics perspective and business and marketing. The fan base will appreciate mm-hmm. it, and quite frankly, the money that they're saving off of all the contracts that are expiring this year uh, you know, you don't even yeah. have to use that anymore on a Jose Abreu. Now, if they do go for it, but they have a Garrett Cooper. Now they have a Lewin Diaz use that money on extend, Brian Anderson. It'll go a long way with the fan base. And it's something that from a baseball perspective makes a ton of sense as well. All right. So we have gone over, but I don't, I don't care. I'm so happy that we went over. Uh, <laughs> Before Absolutely. we go, let them know one more time where they can find you. I'm sure you're going to be back on. Trust me, I'm going to force you to be back on. But let them know where they can find you on Twitter so that they can engage with you.
1: Absolutely. Um, find me on Twitter at fish army 305. You know, we're, we're growing. You know, uh, we just reached 210 followers and I couldn't be happier about that. Uh, I started this account like in May and it's been a blast and I can't wait to keep doing it. Absolutely.
0: Fish Army 305. All right, brother, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for the conversation. Like I said, I'm going to force you to come back pack on at some point. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, okay? <laughs> Thank
1: you. You too, Danny. Have a good one.